Good evening. For those that don't know me, my name is Doug Jenkins. For those that do know me, my name is still Doug Jenkins. And uh, for most of my uh, adult life, uh, I was a science teacher. And uh, <clears throat> I stood for 41 years in front of 16, 17, 18-year-olds. Uh, no problem whatsoever. A little bit different tonight. So y'all could help me out if for the next 25, 30 minutes if y'all could all just try to look a little younger. And uh, <laughs> some of you a lot younger, but uh, that's... Uh, and I was a science teacher, and uh, in 41 years I was never given a day of playground duty, and I don't really understand that. I, that looks like a lot of fun to me. I think I probably would have enjoyed that. Uh, tonight I'm not going to be taking a particular scripture and, and uh, expounding upon it or uh, opening it up. I'm, I'd, I'd like to take a few minutes talking about what I think is a, a theme that runs throughout the New Testament and is exemplified uh, in, in the life of Jesus. And so I call it invitational living. And uh, that's what I want to kind of introduce you to tonight or uh, get you to look at it that way. How many of you have ever received an invitation in the mail? Sure, lots of invitations in the mail. We've got, you've got uh, birthday party invitations. This time of year, you've got invitations to graduation ceremonies, invitations to weddings, invitations to luncheons to hear about financial planning or how to buy a hearing aid. There's all kinds of invitations. And uh, so some of those... Uh, we're, we're able to accept, and some we send regrets, and, uh, and others we just throw away, do we not? Uh, my wife, Linda, and I taught at the same school, Warren Central, for many years, and we had a lot of the same students. So we got a lot of invitations uh, to weddings of former students who were marrying former students. And they were always kind of neat, and, and uh, some of those we were able to accept and go to, and some of those we had to send regrets. The strangest invitation that I ever got uh, was an invitation to the marriage of two antenna. And being a science teacher, I just had to go to that one. Wedding wasn't much, but the reception was out of this world. <laughs> uh, it sounds like most of you got it, and if, you, if somebody didn't groan next to you, just kind of turn to them and explain that to them. But uh, I'd like to thank Ed for uh, giving me the invitation to come uh, speak to you tonight. Uh, 63 years ago, as a nine-year-old, I accepted Jesus Christ uh, during the invitation of a, uh, a youth service at uh, First Baptist Church. 43 years ago, about two months into my uh, teaching career, I was at Warren Central, and the only other county school was Warren East, and I'd already been indoctrinated. That was our bitter rivals. And I got a phone call at home one night from one of the science teachers there, and, uh, and she said, we're taking a van up to the state science teachers convention, and we'd like to invite you to go along. And I did. And the keynote speaker that day was a, a man named Dr. William Perkey. And he had uh, written a book, and 
And during that, uh, that talk, that keynote speech that day, uh, he invited each teacher there in attendance. There were over a 1,000. Uh, so he invited them to consider a theory of practice that he had developed and, and written a book about uh, called Invitational Education. And so through the years, my acceptance of both of those invitations have changed my life and continue to change my life. And I, I, I've come to realize that Dr. Perky's theory of practice is really just like all other good relational practices. They're just reflections of biblical principles and, uh, and examples of how God wants us to interact and relate to everyone we meet in every aspect of our life. And then as I've studied over the years and prepared lessons for my, uh, what used to be called Sunday school and then Bible fellowship and now small group, uh, all of those lessons, uh, I've, I've realized that uh, uh, God's people are to practice this uh, invitational living because that's what God demands of his people. You know, as we focus on the life and words of, of Jesus, we realize he, how he is the role model for everything that we do in life. Our thoughts, our words, our actions, and especially our reactions. These are the essence of our interaction with other people. In other words, the invitations of our everyday, day-to-day -day life. So... Uh, I've often thought over the years that I would, I would like the opportunity at some time to speak to a group of believers uh, about and share this idea of invitational living. Uh, it's a view that maybe you haven't thought of that way, and uh, hopefully tonight I can make it clear, uh, and hopefully even more so that I can make it applicable. Um, and the view is simply this. Every interaction that you have every day with anyone is an invitation. And that invitation is either going to be accepted or rejected. Now, the reason they're rejected, there's a lot of reasons. But the one that we have the absolute control over is the way in which we give that invitation. And so, uh, there are uh, four levels of invitation that I want us to look at tonight. There's the uh, intentionally disinviting, the unintentionally disinviting, the unintentionally inviting, and the intentionally inviting. Now, let's get something clear. Jesus was never unintentional. He was intentional in every word and act that he ever did. But, but we humans, we imperfect humans, are far too often unintentional in a lot of the things that we did. So as we use Jesus tonight in Scripture uh, as examples of the intentional, uh, we also want to see uh, how we can handle the unintentional when that happens to us. So, uh, and you know, Jesus knew we were going to be, that we were imperfect, and so he gave us the Holy Spirit to help us in our times of unintentionality. I don't know if that's a word, but I just made it up, so it, it, it works, okay? Uh, so my emphasis tonight will be on human interactions, but these same levels can apply to places, 
and policies. Uh, and so uh, we're going to take a look at each one individually, all right? So let's look at the uh, intentionally disinviting, all right? Intention, intentionally disinviting are actions that are uh, deliberately designed to demean and uh, devalue people. I mean, I can, I can name off racist, sexist, elitist, bully, and, and we, we can go on and on with that. Uh, and we all know people that fall into that category. Uh, hate is their common thread, and uh, ugly describes their, their words and behavior. Nowhere in the Bible do we ever uh, see a, a, one of God's people having those characteristics or described as belonging in that level. You know, the, uh, the dark side of the Internet, I think, lies in, lies in its ability to uh, allow intentionally disinviting people to send their invitations to millions of people each and every day. Um, now, I know we all have our uh, intentionally disinviting moments, like when you're just getting ready to sit down to eat and you get that call from Rachel at credit card services. Or that guy with a foreign vo voice that, that tells you that they've just discovered a, a, a bad virus on your computer. Now, you know, I can imagine that any response to those calls are probably justifiably intentionally disinviting. So we, we have that. But wh what about the teacher who's normally an inviting person and they've had a hard day and last period comes along and Johnny comes in and sits down on the back row and immediately puts his head down, forgetting to bring his book and his homework for the umpteenth straight day. And the teacher just feels that last straw breaking and says something like, you know what, it's your grade, I don't care. Just keep your head down. You know, Johnny's probably going to accept that invitation, but he won't accept any more from you the rest of the year. Um, Human emotions such as stress and, and, and anger can cause even Christians to act that way at times. And I, I know we can all think back at times we've been that way. Surely church is the last place you would think that uh, an intentionally disinviting act would occur. But they do. I've heard more than one time from more than one church about a member walking up to a guest that's already seated in the pew and saying, you're sitting in my seat. That's intentional, and that's disinviting. And my guess is that guest probably didn't accept the next invitation, which was, why don't you come back to see us again next week? That's probably not going to happen. So, you know, those things do happen. In the 11th chapter of Mark, uh, we, we see Jesus' act of uh, uh, cleansing the temple, and it's certainly a disinviting act. But in fact, even though he's doing a disinviting act intentionally, he's doing it as an inviting person. Listen to what it says here. 
as, as we read verses uh, 15 through 17. They arrived at Jerusalem. Immediately uh, on entering the temple, Jesus started throwing out everyone who had set up shop there, buying and selling. He kicked over the tables of the bankers and the stalls of the pigeon merchants. He didn't let anyone even carry a basket through the temple. And then he taught them, quoting this text, My house was designated a house of prayer for the nations. You've turned it into a hangout for thieves. Did you catch that? And then he taught them. Wanting others to know the truth and the value of God's word is always an inviting stance. So let's look at the uh, unintentionally disinviting level. Now, I've never met a Christian whose day-to-day stance was intentionally disinviting. But this unintentionally disinviting level hits a lot of Christians, including me, far too often. Suppose you're a teacher, and little Susie's really having a difficult time with working this problem or grasping this concept. So, you know, being that inviting, loving teacher that you are, you, you, you bend down and you say something like, Susie, this is easy. This is really easy. I know you can do it. You pat him on the back. Now, you, you think that that's an inviting comment, but that's actually unintentionally disinviting because Susie's probably sitting there thinking man if this is easy I must be really dumb if I'm not getting it so you know it's easy to do that we're we're intentionally disinviting when we are well-meaning but we're ineffective because of a lack of thoughtful effort I think about that not only do we have to think about what we should do that would be the right thing but we have to do it. We have to put the effort into it. And when we don't, uh, our invitations are rejected and we're left scratching our head wondering why. Here's some examples that I uh, jotted down that, that I'm sure occur in churches. Welcoming, welcoming visitors. Now, you know, on Wednesday night, everybody's home, folk. We, we, we shake each other's hands and so forth. And sometimes during the Sunday morning service, we have a, a time after a song or two where we turn and shake hands, you know. But usually we just turn to the people we already know sitting around us. And, if, you know, occasionally if it just happens to be sitting just right, we'll, we'll shake hands with a visitor. And we think we're a welcoming church. But wh- how much more inviting would it be if we got into the sanctuary a few minutes early and if we notice somebody that we don't know, we go over, go over and actually introduce ourselves. Give our name, get their name, and have a short conversation that has some meaning to it. Now put, put yourself in the visitor's part. How much more inviting would that be? So, uh, another one I thought of. Not having empty chairs in our, in our small group with seating options. You know, two empty chairs sitting right in front of the teacher can be pretty intimidating, and, and that makes it disinviting. And then the last one I don't need to expand upon because I think it hits all of us. Talking instead of listening. That can be very unintentionally disinviting at, in many times. Now, 
Let's go to the positive side, the unintentionally inviting. Let's go to that one. This is where we want to be when we're on cruise control. And what I mean by that is that's where we react with the person we really are when we don't have time to think out our responses or our actions. This is where the Holy Spirit helps us as, as Christians to naturally be this way when our actions are routine day to day. You just, you just have to go over to Galatians 5 and read about the fruit of the Spirit. Listen, l- listen to these words and think about how inviting they are when someone exhibits these and they're not even, you know, they're, they're not even having to think about it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Boy, these are all characteristics of an inviting stance. And two other things I thought about that are unintentionally inviting just because of who we are. Uh, the glow that Christians have regardless of their circumstances. And the peace that we have knowing that God is and always will be with us. Those, are, those draw people to us. Now let's go to the fourth level, intentionally inviting, all right? These are individuals who deliberately choose to be caring about others. Let's go back to Susie and her teacher. How much more inviting would it be if the teacher leaned down and said, Susie, I know you're struggling with this. But together, one-on-one, maybe a few minutes before school, after school, between class, I know we can work this out and get you caught up. I mean, how much more inviting would that be? That's intentionally inviting. And you know what? Come to think of it, Jesus says that to us all the time, doesn't he? He says to us all the time. I tried to come up with just a few examples. I had too many. I just that uh, of people who are intentionally inviting uh, just within the church. Those who do service to others. There's so many jobs here. Some behind the scenes you don't see. Uh, those who visit the sick and, and our shut-ins. Those who provide food in a time of need. Those uh, who are part of programs like Kentucky Baptist Disaster Relief. And there's so many others. And then there's the, those who are so good at witnessing to others. Oh, I love this church and their mission work. We have mission teams. Here, we, we do work locally, uh, statewide. Lynch is just an example. Nationally, and so many mission teams going abroad. Uh, you know, being intentionally inviting is exactly what it says it is. It's intentional. It's thoughtful. And it's done with purpose. These are the invitations that are most often accepted. And the reason they're most, the most often accepted because they're thought of and they're delivered with love. This is what God intends for us to be. So those are the four levels. Now let's get some clarification on there. I want to look at a couple of contrasts. The first one is uh, uh, optimist or Pollyanna. 
inviting people are optimists. They're not Pollyannas. Okay? They don't look at life through rose-colored glasses. But rather they look through the lens of assurance that our relationship with God provides. On one lens, we are assured that we will continually be blessed in our day-to-day walk. And through the other lens, we are also assured that we're going to face many of the same difficult problems and situations as everybody else, uh, including persecution for our beliefs. We're not talking about Pollyannas here. But our optimism, even in times of our own personal crisis, it's inviting because it draws others to us, wanting to know more about the source of our optimism, which is our personal relationship with Jesus. Now, another contrast is subjective versus objective. This one's very important. Being uh, inviting is not subjective, but rather it's objective. In science, objective means that that's something that can be measured. It can be agreed upon. It's accepted as truth. Subjective can't be measured. So it's not totally agreed upon. And it's really personally what somebody thinks about. We predict, we invent, and we rely on that which is objective. And in the end, subjective doesn't really matter. Let me give you an example to make sure you're clear about this. My height is five feet, nine and a half inches. If I gave every one of you a yardstick and you used it correctly, you would measure me to be five feet, nine and a half inches. You would agree upon it. Not only that, somebody halfway around the world, they would, if they read that I was five feet, nine and a half inches tall, they'd know exactly how tall I was. That's objective, okay? Now, <clears throat> what I'm about to tell you next, what I'm about to tell you next is... Uh, probably the most astounding thing that I've told you tonight. The fact that I'm handsome. <laughs> I haven't, you're already laughing. I haven't even finished yet. That, that's not objective. That's subjective. Okay? Uh, that's just what people uh, think about my looks. Now get the next slide up, please. Uh, there's only four people in the world that I can assure you think I'm handsome, okay? All mamas think their boys are handsome. My wife thinks I'm handsome. My identical twin brother thinks I'm handsome. And that means his wife thinks I'm handsome. And that's, that's the four that I'm sure about. Everybody else, I, I can't, I just can't, uh, can't be sure on that, all right? In science, we have many questions. Some of them can be answered objectively with facts and natural laws that we know to be true. And others have answers that are very subjective, so they have no real agreement among the experts. So really, they don't matter because of that. In, uh, in Mark 8, 27 through 29, let me read that for you. 
Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. And they were, as, as they were walking along, he asked them, Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say that you're one of the uh, other prophets. But he asked them, Who do you say I am? Peter replied, You are the Messiah. Jesus asked the most important question that any one of us will ever have to answer objectively in our lifetime. Who do you say I am? There are so many today who still want to answer that question subjectively. He was a great teacher. He was a prophet. We all worship the same God. We're all going to get to heaven. You think about that. You get the picture? In essence, they're all saying it really doesn't matter. You know, Oprah can give away cars and invite us to read her favorite books. But when she tells her followers that there are many paths to heaven, she's being dangerously disinviting. It's disinviting and it's dangerous because it's a lie that leads to eternal separation from God. And let me kind of wrap up tonight. I, I want to tell you about uh, uh, an assignment that uh, uh, I used to give my class for about 41 years. Uh, Newton's Three Laws of Motion is, uh, is something that you all studied in school, in some science class somewhere, junior high, high school, or whatever. And you may remember those three laws of motion. What happens to an object if no force acts on it? Nothing. Object at rest stays at rest. Object in motion keeps going. Second law, what happens to an, uh, an object if a force does act on it? It does change its motion. It accelerates. And then the third one, what happens to the object that's exerting the force on that object? And it also changes its motion. You probably remember that one as for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. So the assignment I used to give at the start of that, that week I'd say, okay, on Friday, after we've studied these, I want you to give me a piece of paper, and at the, at the top, I want, a, I want a real picture of something personal, because I want it to be an inviting assignment. I, not only did I want them to see if they understood Newton's laws, but I wanted to find out more about them. So I wanted a real photograph of them or them doing something or something that they were interested in. And then the rest of the assignment underneath was they had to, to explain how that picture was illustrating one of those three laws. Because every picture does. Well, I, I loved that assignment. I would, I would uh, put them all on the board. I'd uh, take them down after a couple of days, put another class up there. Uh, they'd be up there for about a week, uh, all of them together, and thousands of them. And they all did a great job because they really got into it. But this particular year, I was grading papers, and I, and I turned the, the, pay, the, the paper over to grade the next one, and I didn't even look at the picture. And, and, and the first thing I noticed was, this is not, this is not a photograph. It's just been run off of something. You know, didn't this student even know? Would you put that next one up? All right. And then I looked at the picture, and I realized, wow. No wonder there wasn't a picture to this one. Okay? So... You can't read what he wrote under there, but let me, let, let me read you what he wrote. 
This is uh, 16 years old. Here's a picture that we all may be familiar with. Here's a picture of the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, God on a cross. This one event, although forgotten many times, was the greatest event in the history of the world. Although it has nothing to do with the purpose of the cross, did you ever think that there was a little physics involved? Newton's third law of motion is even demonstrated at the cross. Christ's hands and feet had nails driven through them to hold him to the cross. Due to gravity wanting to pull his body down, Jesus had trouble breathing. In order to breathe, Jesus would have to push down on the nail through his feet, and the nail would push back in the opposite direction with the same amount of force to support his body. In return, Jesus could get a breath of air. You can find Jesus in everything, including physics. Before he turned this paper in, all I knew about this student was, because this is about six weeks into the course, all I knew about him was he, he wore his ROTC uniform and sat in the back like all the other uh, cadets did on Fridays. You think I knew any more about him after I got that paper? Uh, that was in 1999. Today, that student, Shane Blankenship, is the pastor at Greenwood Baptist Church. Still one of the most inviting people I've ever met. It's probably no surprise to you that my life verse is Philippians 4.8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Aren't those inviting words? Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Not only that, the very ne I've heard a lot of sermons on that verse. The very next verse, verse 9, Paul tells us in the next verse, Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. In other words, he's saying be intentional, be inviting. Nowhere do we find uh, anyone more intentionally inviting in the Bible than Jesus. His, uh, his recorded words are, are not only the gospel truth, but they are the examples of that we are to follow in spreading that truth. And it's not only what he says, but how he says it that we should emulate. You know, yes, truth is inviting, but truth without love is not the whole truth, and that's disinviting. If we look over in Matthew, one of my favorite... Uh, of course, I had oodles of verses to choose from, but one of my favorite invitational quotes from Jesus is in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. If that's not intentionally inviting, I don't know what is. But of course, the most important invitation from Jesus is given in John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say that arrogantly or boastfully. He said it truthfully in love. Would you bow for prayer, please? Our Heavenly Father, as we, uh, as we search the Scriptures, we ask that we also search our hearts and we strive to turn all of our unintentional words and all of our unintentional actions to intentional and inviting. We, we want to follow Jesus by trying to be more like Jesus. And we know that's a daily challenge. So we just uh, pray that uh, uh, we just lift up to you uh, our hearts and our thoughts and our actions. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ed's going to come down front. And, uh, uh, you know, on Wednesday night probably is a good chance everyone in here is